President Trump has called the Affordable Care Act a disaster and has pledged to repeal it and replace it with something better. One of President Trump's first official acts was to sign an executive order commanding federal agencies, where legally possible, to waive, delay, or defer parts of the law that would burden states, individuals, or health care providers. It's not clear what this order is going to mean in practice, but on Sunday, presidential advisor Kellyanne Conway said that the president may decide not to enforce the Affordable Care Act's mandate that individuals purchase health insurance. And she also seemed to suggest that the administration may refuse to enforce the requirement that businesses with 50 or more employees provide health insurance to their employees. Meanwhile, two Republican senators have introduced a bill that they say would let states keep Obamacare, abandon it, or replace it with a system of catastrophic insurance for the uninsured. So what does this all mean? Here today to talk with us about the future of the Affordable Care Act are Alden Bianchi, leader of the Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Practice Group at Mintz Levin, who is the author of the Bloomberg BNA Healthcare Reform Advisor, and Abby Gluck, faculty director of the Solomon Center for Health Law and Policy at Yale University. Abby, the president signed an executive order that many are confused by, um, and it's not really seem to think is not really clear about what he what he wants agencies to do with the Affordable Care Act. And then his advisor, Ms. Conway, goes on TV and says that he may not enforce these mandates. Uh, Let's start with that. Can, Can the administration refuse to enforce the two mandates to purchase insurance and to have employers provide insurance if they have 50 or more employees? Well, first of all, I think you're right that this action has sort of injected more uncertainty into an already very uncertain business context for insurers because nobody really knows what's going to happen. The executive order makes very clear that the agencies can only act to the extent authorized by law. Um, With respect to the individual mandate, the requirement that uh, everybody has to get themselves insured or pay a tax, a very very, uh, controversial requirement under the Affordable Care Act. As a legal matter, it's very unlikely that the Trump administration could use that executive order to wholesale abandon the individual mandate. That would not be uh, permitted consistent with the law as the executive order requires. They could extend some of the hardship exemptions that were offered by the Obama administration, but the exception can't swallow the rule. So if Trump is serious about obeying the law and getting things done consistently, um, I don't think that what Kellyanne Conway said is likely to hold forth. I also would just note that Tom Price, the HHS nominee and his confirmation hearings, also alluded to the idea that they were not going to use that executive order uh, to wholesale stop enforcing the individual mandate. Alden, what do you make of Tom Price's testimony where Trump's choice for health secretary repeatedly refused during the confirmation hearing to promise that no Americans will be worse off under Trump's executive order to ease provisions of the Affordable Care Act? Well, one thing I'd begin by noting is is that I think Tom Price was not at all bloodied during yesterday's confirmation hearing. So if Democrats thought that they were going to somehow derail that nomination, I, I think the hopes of that are fading very quickly. Then the question is: is is, is how does the how, how how does replace go forward? And I think Representative Price has been been very cryptic in any numbers. We have no idea or very little idea from his from his his public statements and testimony exactly what he's going to do. 
But we do have a comprehensive bill that he had two comprehensive bills, one a pure repeal bill uh, on the reconciliation and the other repeal and replace that Tom that Tom Price either offered authored or is a co-author. So we so we have his policy prescriptions. So we know I think we know what he wants to do. And and, and those prescriptions are very similar to the prescriptions in in five other major Republican proposals. So I, I think he's uh, we, we, we pretty much know where he's going to go. You're listening to Bloomberg Law with Michael Best, June Grasso, and Greg Storr. And we are talking about the Affordable Care Act. The president's actions and statements have not yet repealed the law, and neither has Congress. Uh, he is talking about it today. He's been talking about it since he took office. But it's not entirely clear what is going to happen to what is known as Obamacare. Talking to us about the future of the health care law are Alden Bianchi, a member at Mintz Levin, uh, and Abby Gluck, a professor at Yale Law School. Abby, the president's executive order, as you noted earlier, only allows agencies to do to take actions that are within the current law. But what has, to the extent we can figure it out, what has the president ordered agencies to do in regard to the Affordable Care Act? Well, nothing yet. I mean, that's that's what's caused all this uncertainty. There's been a lot of talk. And you also have Trump throughout making statements like every American who currently has health insurance is going to keep their health insurance or get health insurance. Um, and yet you've got these Republican plans floating around that don't all do that, right? And we've had now eight years of Republicans trying to come up uh, with a consensus agreement on what their replacement plan would be. We shouldn't be surprised that two weeks into the new administration, they don't have their plan yet. They haven't had one for eight years. We're getting sort of different plans every day. I don't think anybody knows what's going on, except the one thing I think, and I think the administration and the Senate have heard the business community's complaints about the idea of repealing without having a replacement or at least a partial replacement uh, in the wings. Uh, early on, it looked like we were going to get a repeal with nothing. It's looking now like um, there are at least some people in there who are really trying to have something to say uh, before they get a repeal. And that may make a repeal take a lot longer, frankly, um, than Trump would have wanted. Alden, Republican Senators Susan Collins and Bill Cassidy unveiled an Obamacare replacement bill this week. Tell us about some of the proposals that are out there. Well, if you look at there are probably, give or take, five key Republican proposals, and they do share an awful lot of common features. So if we could tick down the major ones pretty quickly, uh, rather than an individual mandate, there would be something called a continuous coverage requirement. This has been around since 1996 with HIPAA, and it has worked very well in the group market, and it, and it should work fine so long as people are generally employed. I think the problem with it comes where people are in and out of employment on a, uh, routinely, and there that feature might not work so well. There's also the issue of, of, of tax subsidies for employees. And there, both the replacement proposals in Obamacare have tax subsidies for low-income folks to help purchase coverage. But what they do is very different. Uh, so in Obamacare, those subsidies are, are applied to the metallic tiers of coverage, gold, uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, which are very, uh, very prescribed arrangements, whereas uh, under the Republican proposals, it's, it's kind of the Wild West. You can purchase coverage across state lines. 
lines and perhaps uh, and 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 uh, the design of these policies there'll be huge variations in what they cover or don't cover importantly and lastly in in, in regard to the individual mandate there's a, a a provision in most of these proposals that says um, if you can't get coverage then we're going to revert to the state high risk pools I don't have time really here to go through all of them, but one other feature I'll mention that is um, sounds like a good idea, but it has been problematic in the past in terms of enforcement, and that's the idea of small groups banding together to form association health plans. Uh, these have been uh, abused commercially for the last 20 years, so enforcement would be the big deal here. They would also cannibalize the state small group markets. So those are a flavor of some of the proposals that are common to all of the five uh, five Republican proposals. Abby, there there is a relatively new proposal from uh, Senators Cassidy and Collins. Uh, that de- seems to depart from some of the previous Republican proposals and that it would allow states, if they want to, to keep Obamacare in place. What, what is their proposal? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of compromise proposal. Um, it, it won't make some people happy because it's not actually repealing. Obamacare. But what it does is it gives the states three options. Um, you might call it a federalist proposal, one that's about state choice. Uh, option one is you get to keep Obamacare the way you have it if your state is happy with how it's functioning. Uh, that would probably happen, say, in New York, for example. Uh, option two is that you get to just be done with Obamacare. You get to stop receiving funds and you're out of the system and the state fends for itself uh, as if Obamacare had never been enacted. And the third option is this idea of sort of state innovation, state choice. A state would be able to get, I think it's 95% uh, of the money they would otherwise be getting under the Affordable Care Act, and they get to use that to put it into a state-designed health care system of their choice, right? So it's almost like a waiver. You might think of it as a souped-up waiver uh, from Obamacare, which we already had this waiver provision in the original Affordable Care Act, and you might think of this as sort of teeing off of that. It does get rid of the individual mandate because that is the least popular, the least popular provision, and it would adopt this continuous coverage requirement that uh, Alden just talked about. Alden, is this uncertainty about the Affordable Care Act having any effect on the insurance marketplace right now? It it is too early to tell uh, that for certain. But there has to be some uncertainty underneath the hood that hasn't bubbled to the surface yet. It just would be inconceivable to me that the carriers in particular have got to be scratching their heads saying, where's our revenue coming from? And the individuals that are covered are saying, is my coverage even going to be there? Uh, coincidentally, I just I had a call last night just from one of my my partners who um, has a young son who is going to age out of the uh, hit age 26 and has would have some real pre-existing condition concerns. And his question to me is, my kid going to be all right? So yeah, I, I mean there has to be, although I can't I can't point you to to particular evidence at this point. Abby, one of the issues that seems to have slowed down the trained to repeal Obamacare was that any replacement plan probably would have to survive a Democratic filibuster in the Senate, meaning it would need 60 votes uh, in order to go forward. And that's going to be very difficult for the Republicans to pull off, it seems. Do any of the Republican plans that we've been talking about, this replacement plan that the two senators have come up with, uh, do any of them have any chance of getting to a point where Democrats might start supporting them? 
So I, I haven't seen uh, Democratic leadership commentary on Cassidy Collins, but I, I do think that just based on its one day of life existence so far, that's probably the one that has the greatest possible chance, particularly if it were strengthened in, in certain areas. I mean, it preserves things that Democrats care about. Uh, it preserves the Medicaid expansion, which is very important. It doesn't aim to privatize Medicare like the Paul Ryan plan would. Uh, I could see maybe having the individual mandate remain optional. Um, and that would probably help ease concerns. I think there is concern among progressives that the continuous coverage requirement uh, would be punitive against people in, uh, in, with less steady employment, which tends to be people that are falling in the gap between Medicaid and the private insurance market, the less fortunate. Um, and so I could see that being a starting point, um, but we really have yet to see um, how the Democrats are going to react to it. And I also think that Chuck Schumer has been very clear that he doesn't want to help a, uh, Trump out of this problem, right? Um, they've created this uncertainty. They've sort of created this mess. And I think the Democrats want to say, you know, uh, we're not going to take the blame by helping you enact a subpar a replacement for the Affordable Care Act. So that's the challenge. Alden, we have about 30 seconds left. Do you think the Republicans can come up with something that will they'll be able to replace Obamacare with anytime in the near future? I think they do. And I think if you want to know what that's going to look like, uh, probably the most thoughtful proposal is the one that was put forward by Orrin Hatch. Now, it's not a it's not legislation yet. It's a it's a um, five or six or seven page uh, set of bullet points. Uh, but it is and I think it's been been reviewed fairly favorably um, whether it will do what I doubt very seriously that it'll do what the Affordable Care Act did uh, but it's pretty good and lastly I'd point out that that people have seem to have forgotten very quickly that the Affordable Care Act was really a Republican proposal it was it was done by a Republican governor Mitt Romney and it was designed by the heritage in large part by the Heritage Foundation so it just shows you how far we've uh, we've, we've gone from our moorings on this uh, on this topic. Well, I suspect uh, we also won't stop talking about it for some time to come. Thank you to Alden Bianchi of Mintz Levin and Abby Gluck of Yale Law School for being with us today on uh, Bloomberg Law.